we have taken a break from Ephesians. Ephesians is an interesting book. I would say it's a short version of Romans. If you've ever read Romans, a lot of people call that the constitution of Christianity. When I say a lot of people, I know my, the former pastor, Pastor Dave, did, and his Bible teacher at, at college did. And I really like that definition of Romans because it kind of lays out systematic theology pretty well in Romans. And really, Ephesians does the same thing. Okay, It's a shortened version. It's a letter written to believers, and it is written for believers. Okay, Now, does that mean that nobody can get anything out of this if you don't believe? No, there's, there's stuff there. And we want to be checking to see if believers are following through on what they believe. Because they aren't, then are they really believers? Ooh, that's the... That's the eternal question right there, right? Because faith is shown, proved right in its actions, right? And so that's kind of what our theme is today. So first, we got to get our doctrine right. That's chapters one through three. Doctrine is, is all about that. So we're going to be talking about how they go hand in hand. And the practice of our faith, which is chapters four through six, um, they go in har- hand in hand in harmony toward our deeper collective symphony with Christ Jesus. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Do you think the calling is important? He kind of mentions it twice there. So yes, he starts Ephesians chapter 1 about our how we've been predestined in Christ, right? We talked about that and how that works out and things, and that is complicated, isn't it? Yes, it's very complicated because then you get into, are you Arminian, are you Calvinist and things? And I would say, yes, you're probably a little bit of both, right? God's calling you. You have free will. They work together. It's an amazing thing of how God made marriages, bonds them in marriage together. That's what I'm looking for. Whoa. And there again, you have the conjunction, right? You have two things come together that shouldn't, and God makes them coming together. God's awesome power and his direction and our free will. And sometimes they bond and a good thing happens, right? And so we have the conjunction of therefore. And any time you see a therefore, you... You look to see what it's there for, right? Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Whew. Whew. Oh, it's getting weak in the knees there. Just kidding. Just kidding. But this is the big transition because we've seen a couple of therefores, even in the New Living Translation, because the New Living Translation doesn't like to use it as much as the NIV. NIV uses therefore a lot, okay? NIV uses therefore a lot, and as we go through, we're going to see what it's there for. So Paul moves his language from the doctrinal to the practical, okay? This is the idea, this is the concept, this is the application, this is how you put it into practice, okay? And from the head to the hands and the feet, right? Transitioning from our head also to our heart, right? Because once you start putting into practice as a lifestyle, that means your heart has been changed. So as we take time to look back at Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we see that Paul lay out some major doctrinal ideas, concepts, and practices that we need to have in place in our life before, during, or during the body 
as we put our faith into practice, right? First, he talks about God wanting to have a relationship with us, right? He sent his son down to this earth to have relationship with us. That was always the intention. That's how God started in the garden. He had relationship with Adam and Eve, and he wants to get back to that, right? And it's up to us whether we decide to be in that relationship. And that's the free will part of it. And that doesn't really make sense because you have this almighty, powerful creator that is allowing us to be in charge a little bit. We're in charge of one thing, which is our free will, right? And when we give that up to be with him, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Things go well. You have a peace of mind. You have uh, freedom that wasn't there before because you have the confidence and the power of Christ Jesus. And before that, I was maybe self-confident, but I was also self-righteous, and so I'd fall on my face a lot, right? And so as we move forward, God then points to his power. It raised Christ from the dead. That is also alive in the church today. And if God is going to use the church, and he's going to use it to move his kingdom forward, and it's going to be made complete in Christ Jesus. Well, how is it made complete in Christ Jesus? Well, we have this problem of sin, don't we? And we are all sinners. We've all fallen short. And we have this death inside of us. And God's going to get a hold of that, and he is going to make it new life. Well, what's it, what's it take to get rid of sin? It takes sacrificial action, specifically one action, um, all sin requires um, a blood sacrifice to remediate sin, right? Who was, our, who was our blood sacrifice? Jesus Christ was, right? The blood of Jesus takes away our sins. Wow, that's like, whoa. Because think about the temple, okay? The Jewish people had to go up, and there are hundreds of thousands, million people. Each, one of, each family has to do a sacrifice. That's hundreds of thousands of sacrifices. So you walk in there that day, you have a ton of animals around. Already it stinks like a zoo, right? Because where are you going to put all that poop? It's got to go somewhere until they sacrifice them. And then you sacrifice them. Blood doesn't smell great. Not in that quantity. And where does it go? It all goes down the hill of Jerusalem. It's gross. It's disgusting. Is sin, does God have us do all that stuff or the Israelites do all that stuff for him to remember? No. He did that so that we could remember that sin is gross and disgusting. It's horrible. You know what you're going to have to walk through when you walk out of this place? You have to go across the river. That's now a river of blood instead of a river of water. Think about that. Ugh. Right? But that's how it is for the Lord. You have the offal and all that junk that you throw away, plus you have the burning sacrifice. So that's, that's a pleasing aroma that's up at the temple. And down there is your stench. Both are important. We give the best to the Lord. We get rid of the junk. Hey, that's what communion's all about today, Right? When we take communion, we ask the Lord to forgive our sins first, right? We're getting rid of the junk. And then we give God the praise, right? We give God the praise. I only made three trays today, so 
it's going to be tight. We might, might have to yeah, share a couple too. That's right. That's right. Uh, so I'm glad that everybody's here today. So Christ calls us to new life, and we can compare the state, as we compared the state of our living sin, like someone who has a terminal disease but feels fine. Remember that illustration I used? I think it was in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It's like, I feel fine. Anybody that's got, has had colon cancer, you ever meet somebody who's got colon cancer? They feel fine. They could have stage 4 colon cancer, and they feel fine. They're going to be dead in a few weeks, probably. I feel fine. I didn't even know anything was happening, right? So the do- they're like, well, I don't want to do anything. I feel fine. The doctor's got to show them the x-rays. He's got to show them the MRIs. It's like, look, you are getting torn up on the inside. The only hope that you have for your life right now is we do immediate surgery. And as Christ followers, sometimes we have to be the doctor that reports on that sin. Dude, your life is heading to hell. If you don't change it around now, it's not going to go well with you. You got to get in the game, right? Jesus says it this way. It's a little ironic. We talked about this on Thursday night. It says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye? Because isn't it easier to point out your friend's sin than to worry about your own sin, right? So when you have a log in your own, how can you say, friend, let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Man, if that isn't British comedy right there, I don't know what is. You'd have a patient that comes in, talks to the nurse and says, hey, I got this liver. And she's like, the doctor will be in to see you um, just shortly. And he comes in, he's got this log, he's holding with one hand, right? And he's walking around the room and he's like, what can I help you with today? It's like, "Um, well, first you can start by getting that log out of your own. How dare you? How dare you talk about my log? Yes, it's a little uncomfortable, but I'm dealing with it. What, what can I help you with? Well, I need the sliver out of, my, out of my finger, but how are you going to be able to see with that log in you? There's no log in my eye. And how much is that like us when we deny our own sin, but we can quick see that speck? Oh, yeah, I can see it from clear across the room. That's horrible. It's like I can barely feel it. I just couldn't dig it out of there. I'm a little scared of needles. Oh, I, I'm not scared of needles. I deal with logs all the time. I mean, never mind. Right? That's a British comedy if I've ever seen it. Right? But how often are we doing the same thing in our spiritual lives? We're walking around with a log in our own eye, pointing out the things that other people see. Why do we do that? Because we can see it easily. Right? When I have a log in my own eye, I know exactly what it looks like. So it's easy for me to see that splinter in somebody else. Um, remember my first time my brother pointed that out to me. That was a humbling experience. It's like, ah! That was the whole concept of the three fingers pointing back at me, and it hit hard, uh, which was good because I'm working on changing, right? Every day. So this is why we need Jesus. We found this out in Ephesians chapter 2, right? Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 are probably the most important verses In all Ephesians, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. There's nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven, right? It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward 
for the good things you have done, so it's not merited, so that none of us can boast about it, right? It is something that we need to receive. It's nothing that we've done. There's nothing that we can do to get into heaven. Christ has done it already. The big step, the gift, is surrendering our will, which is the hardest decision humanly possible. I'm convinced of it, right? So where you don't have to do anything, you have to do something. Does that make sense? It's like a paradox right there, right? In a sense, I have to surrender my will. But what do I get in return? I get God's almighty power. I get his peace that passes understanding. I get his grace. I get eternal life with him, right? There's a lot of rewards. There's a lot of benefits in this program when I sign up. Just on the, it's a pyramid scheme. No, just kidding. It's not a pyramid scheme, right? It isn't. God pays it all, right? So why should I even do that? Why should I make this transition? The therefore is there because of this transition, because of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're, are we willing to surrender our will? Are we willing to give up our lifestyle and pursue a new life in Christ? So I got to ask myself, does my doctrine hold up to my practice? Okay? Who am I worshiping as God? Is my lifestyle reflecting one that follows Jesus? Or does my lifestyle reflect one that follows me in our American culture? Well, that's not good for me. That doesn't work for me. Well, that's the only time I can really fit in my schedule. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to make the sacrifice because that doesn't work for me. Well, why not? Because I had my personal spa that day. That's right. I could change it, but I'm not going to. Right? That's ridiculously stupid, right? But in a sense, that's what we do many, many, many times when we put ourselves before other people. Right? Lord tested us out this week. Or was it last week? Was it last week, William? Was it two weeks ago we pushed that car out? We're going to be late for school. Neighbors stuck over there. Can't, never, haven't met our neighbors yet. I have now, right? I said, come on, neighbors need help getting out of the driveway. Slick. So we went over there and pushed them out. Did we do that for ourselves? No, we're going to be late, right? We were late <laughs> that morning. Um, but we got to meet the neighbors. And um, I found out afterwards, one, their two daughters are amazingly just cute as can be, thanking us. That was great. That was worth it all right there. But they've been working at it for 45 minutes trying to get the car up the hill. I'm like, holy cow, here's my card. Next time, just call me. <laughs> wow. Um, but as we surrender the things that we think are important and give them up for others and then ultimately for the Lord, wow, that is the transition that we're looking for, right? So does our doctrine hold up to... The scrutiny, we have to ask, what is the standard for our doctrine? How should we live according to our doctrine? Okay, what is doctrine? It's like our beliefs, our code, right? Our moral code, that'd be, be similar to um, doctrine. It's, it's kind of like um, what's important to us and things, right? So how do you and I both know our actions? As you and I both know, our actions will speak of our beliefs. If we tend to think that Christ is a vending machine, that he gives us what we want, Lord Jesus, if you could just, if you could just give me an A on this test, if you could just get this car up this driveway, if you could just uh, push the snow all by itself, 
If you could just, right? I heard an illustration um, when God's like that, God's like this apple, and we pray for that apple, pray for that apple to come. And it's like we make our doctrine and our theology all about that apple. And the dangerous thing about that is once we receive that apple, our doctrine goes away. Our faith goes away because we've got what we received and we stop. Sometimes the biggest blessing that we get is not receiving the apple when we pray for it. And I heard that and I was like, oh, 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 oh. right? That's kind of what I did. And, uh, just kidding. Not, not quite that bad, but it, was, it hit me pretty hard, right? I was like, wow, that is a, a concept that I've been guilty of. Because not only did I receive what I want and I stopped praying, but who did I just make God? God, I got my apple. Did I give him thanks? I might kind of keep him in his throne. But if I didn't, I definitely took his throne over. Ah, thank you, God. It's like I'm the Lone Ranger and he's Tonto then, right? He's my sidekick. No, God's not sidekick, right? I don't even make the superhero chart. I'm like the citizen that got saved. Oh, boy, right? So our actions will reflect this in our lifestyle. It, and I need to put the we before me. And if I go after the apple like that, I'm putting me before we. That's not good, right? That's not a team mentality. That's not a servant mentality by any means because we want to put God before all those things. So on the other hand, if our doctrine conveys a guy who loves us, who sacrificed his son for us, who should go, we should go and do likewise, right? So if, if Jesus set the example, died on the cross for us, we should be able to go die for others sacrificially, right? And then we become Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew into Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. Are we all miracles? Absolutely. Are you a masterpiece? Not until Christ is in your life. When Christ becomes your head of your household, the head of your lifestyle, then you turn into who you were supposed to be. And that is exciting. So the result is a strong foundation of doctrine, which allows us to put our faith into practice. So don't forget there has to be a balance of doctrine and practice, and it's dependent on the anchor and the protector of our faith, Christ Jesus, right? If he doesn't set the example and, and is the example, then we don't have an example at all, okay? As a result, Christ will make his home in our hearts, and you trust him, and his roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That's Ephesians three seventeen. Because the balance of doctrine and practice of faith go hand in hand in harmony toward a deeper collective symphony in Christ Jesus. Let's move on. We're going to read 2 and 3, and then we're going to go back and hit 3 again, okay? So Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. Notice a command. It's the first time we've hit a command. There's one minor command in uh, chapter 3, but 
I couldn't find it in the New Living Translation. Uh, I, can th I think you can find it in the NIV. The understood you, right? We talked about the understood you, and this one was about God. This understood you in Paul's writing is in English. Always, there's, there's no subject, so he's pointing out, this is a command, right? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in Christ, binding yourself together with peace. Okay, it's talking about our conduct, right? So the first one was talking about, we talked about the conjunction between the two. The second one is talking about our conduct. In Ephesians 1 through, chapters 1 through 3, Paul is establishing the doctrine so that the church will follow through with the practical side of faith in chapters 4 through 6. If you look at chapters 4 through 6, you're always going to see the conduct that we have, right? We're going to see how it works together. It all works together. And Paul starts to give commands. How can he give commands in 4 through 6? Because he's established what, who we're supposed to be. If you're not this, then you don't necessarily need to listen to this. Right? But if you are this, if you're going to surrender your life to Christ Jesus, this is how you should act. Okay. Paul is creating a spiritual fence post for our Boundaries in Christ Jesus. He sets these basics on his spiritual, he sends these basics to his spiritual son, Timothy, who happened to be the head of the Ephesus church for a while. Okay? In 2 Timothy 2.22, says, Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, hope, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Okay? So we have the three F's in this. Okay? We have flee. Flee the evil desires of your youth. Follow, right? Follow, which means pursuing righteousness, faith, hope, and peace, and friends, right? Along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. That's the NIV version because that's the one I have memorized. Um, but it's, it's still good in the New Living. Flee, follow, follow friends. If you're going to make offense in your backyard, what's the minimum amount of fencing posts that you need to hold up an electric fence? You have to have at least three posts, right? Because if you only have two, you have a line. If you have four, you'd still make a fence. But three can make a fence, right? You got a nice triangle, right? So we have flee, follow, and friends. Boom. In the middle there is purity. In the middle there is our conduct. But pastor, what if I sin? What if I fall short? Proverbs 24, 16, the, God, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get back up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. What's that mean? It means if you sin, get back up. Get back up. Everyone falls. Not everyone gets back up, right? Where do you think Rocky got that classic line, right? He got it from Proverbs 24, 16. It's a concept that's been around for a long time. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's that you get back up, right? That's Rocky right there. And you keep fighting, you keep fighting, you keep fighting, right? So every time require, the following requires discipline. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. 
Changing habits can be tough. Changing lifestyles is almost impossible by yourself. If we do not have Christ front and center, if we got to do it my way, that's evil, right? I did it my way. Sounds great. It's a horrible song, right? That's, that's straight out of the book of Satan, right? I had to do it my way, right? No, we got to do it Christ's way. Christ sets that example. Sorry if I just burst your bubble. Uh, listen to John the Apostle. Appeal to his friends in the church in 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. What's it mean to atone for our sins? It means to be the payment for, right? So he is the payment for all time. Once Christ died on the cross, we didn't have to do blood sacrifices anymore because his blood was perfect and saved us from all sins, right? When our doctrine is centered on Christ, then the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing of sin is easily acceptable, especially when we add up the cost for the payment of our sins, which is Christ Jesus. And that, yeah. So when we fall, we got to get back up, right? We got to get back up. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Paul's like, dude, even I've sinned, even I've fallen short, right? But that doesn't mean that I keep sinning. I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the, the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Friends, if we continue in our sins and we dwell in fear, we have already lost. Let me say that again. If we continue in our sins and we dwell in fear, we've already lost. There's no hope for us. We, in a sense, settle for stuck. We get to a place that we can't figure out, and we're like, I don't know. Why didn't you do problem number four? I didn't know the answer. Well, why didn't you ask somebody? I don't know. I got stuck. So we just settle for stuck, right? How's stuck do? Stuck gets a zero, right? That's a fail, right? So if we got to go ask the teacher, that means i got to humble myself. Always be humble once you gave us the command, right? So i got to humble myself and say, I need some help. I can't get past this problem, right? Well, Christ is the answer. How? I don't know yet. Let's hear the problem, right? But Jesus generally is the answer. If you're going to come to me and ask for advice, that's where I'm going to get it back to. I'm going to get it back to Jesus, right? So confess your old way and your lifestyle, and you will be cleansed. But there's a warning. What if we continue on in that sinful lifestyle? What if we continue on sinning? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin or those who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you want to get right, if you want to make it to heaven, you got to call on Jesus Christ. Remember the life that which the Lord has called you out of. You are no longer that person. You are not defined by your past. You are no longer a slave to feared. You are a child of God, right? I love that song, right? I'm no longer slave to fear. I am a child of God. And if we are children of a king, should we not honor our king with our conduct as he has honored us with eternal life? Makes me think of it this way. If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, which is a gutsy, gory Lots of cuss words in it. Um, I had to watch it on Fast Forward when I watched it just a couple of weeks ago because it's, I can't take that stuff anymore, apparently. And they get to the end of that movie, and it's, it's Private Ryan, right? And he's moved up in his rank and things, and he's, he's walking. He starts the movie. He's walking the cemetery. He ends the movie. He's walking the movie. And, and three guys say it, and he says it at the very end. He says, I hope I've earned it, right? Because his lieutenant, or his, I don't, it's his captain, says, earn it. His guy that's watched the captain die says, earn it. And then at the end, he says, I hope I earned it. Folks, that's religion. That's not Christianity. We can't earn it. We can only be saved by grace, right? And once we are saved by grace then we can't help but give it. There's a big difference between trying to earn salvation and being overwhelmed by salvation so that we want to give it away. A big difference. The world will tell you to earn it. Religion will tell you to earn it. This is the process by which you can earn your salvation. That's workspace. It doesn't work. It's only by grace you have been saved. Through faith. That's a relationship. When you have a relationship, you, what do you want to do for the one you love the most? Whatever it takes, right? The one you love the most, whatever it takes. So if I love Jesus more than anything, I want to do whatever it takes to, make, to be in relationship with him, right? This is why I serve. Conduct and surrender go hand in hand, harmony, in harmony toward our deeper collective symphony in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, make every effort, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. In the early church, what did they have a problem with? You had a problem with Jews and Gentiles. They wanted to stay separate, especially the Jews wanted to stay separate from the Gentiles. And even the Gentiles wanted to stay separate from the Jews. God said, Jesus is wrote the new script, you can come together and be unified in your calling. That's the last C. 
Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the wrath, raging fire that will consume his enemies. Wow. So if we continue in our sins, the only thing we have to look forward to is the wrath of God. Right? Is that important? Absolutely. Just like the stench of sin that's going down the mountain, we should be repulsed by it, not running to it. Our culture trains us to run to sin. All right? We get distracted. We get distracted by video games and phones and, and social media. And we become lazy. Oh, I should get up and clean the house today. Or I should reply back to this Twitter feed. <laughs> I'm going to show them, right? Ooh, that was a, you could tell I, practice, I, I do that cackle all the time, the way that one came out. Whew. Wow, right? So to pursue righteousness means to continue to pursue the righteous one. That means getting intimate with God's truth. How do we do that? We've got to read our Bible. Where do I start, Pastor? We start in the Gospels. If I've never read my Bible before, I'm going to tell you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like, it's the same thing. Three of those were the exact same thing about from, with minor details. Yeah, well, it's good to read it three times. All right? John's a little different. He still has some of the same stories, but they're talking about the same person. It better be the same thing. If it ain't, then he was a liar, and he wasn't. So that also means persevering through our mistakes, persevering through our sins, recognizing them as sin and asking for forgiveness. That's humbling yourself. That is an act of surrender. Did you know that? When you ask for forgiveness from somebody, you're, you're surrendering to their will just a little bit, right? When we ask for forgiveness in God, we're asking for his will. We're surrendering our will to him and giving him control, right? There's more to it than that, but not much. I might as well just say it because God tells us, he commands us to forgive, right? And if they choose not to forgive, we've done our part. We get, we get it, in a sense, we get it back, right? Our, our will, but if we surrender to them, in a sense, we ask for forgiveness, and they forgive us, that harmony comes back together. That song starts to go again. And that's important. Because we know this of the righteous. And Psalm 34, 24, 37, 24 says, Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them up by the hand. He lives he lifts us up out of the muck and the mire, and he sets us on a firm foundation of doctrine that we can continue to discover in his word that is reflected in our lifestyles. So we must humble ourselves before the Lord. Psalms 37, or 31.1, O Lord, I have come to you for my protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. He set the example for us, folks. He set the example for us in righteous living. Where do we find that example? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Huh. That's why I keep mentioning that. It's like the third time you said that, Pastor. Well, get ready. I'll probably say it again. 
His protection allows us to be bold in our faith. Think about this. Who do I have to fear? If I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ, who do I have to fear? Only him, right? Why would I fear God? Uh-huh. I'm out in the hallway, Jeremy. <laughs> Why would I fear God? Well, he's all-powerful. That's a pretty good reason. He's all-knowing, so he knows everything I know and everything I've done. So I want to be careful of that thing, all those things too, right? And he still loves me. That's important, right? He still loves us, even though he knows everything that we've fallen short. And his protection allows us to be bold in our faith because we can walk in his ways. And if we're walking in his ways, nobody can stop us unless he tells them, it's time for Shane to stop, right? Then maybe I'll go home to be with him. That's how it goes. Even when death can't tear us away from the love of God, not even death. In Psalm 73, 26, my heart may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever, right? Sandlock right there, forever. He will continue to strengthen us long after we are capable by ourselves. You ever ask the Lord for physical strength before? I was bailing hay one time, I was unloading the racks, throwing it on the hay, into the hay mow, and the, the hay was heavy. And you have to handle every single, because it's supposed to be the easy job. It ain't the easy job, pulling the hay off the rack. And I have to hand it up for one guy to hand it up to two guys. And I'm, I'm in the beating heat, no air, and I'm, I'm just about on heat stroke. And I know my brother will want this done, and I can't stop. And I said, Lord, just help me get through. And he gave me the physical strength to get through that. And I remember that to this day. He will continue to strengthen us along after we have the capabilities on ourselves. He has given us other believers, friends, to run the race with that which we have been called. It says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Run to Jesus. Flee from our sins. I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Philippians 1.6. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He promises to keep building you up, working in you. Friends, it all comes down to this. When you realize the cost, when you realize the sacrifice, and you realize that both the cost and the sacrifice come at God's expense, then you begin to understand why the Lord is asking this of each one of us in surrendering the world, our will, because he did it first. 
1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us, right? We love because he first loved us. Got that on the inside of my wedding band. And the move toward living out your faith. As we move toward living out our faith, that is the definition of sanctification. Right? That's like Romans 5 through 12, sanctifying our faith. Calling, the calling and obedience go hand in hand in harmony towards our deeper collective symphony within Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your love and your compassion that you have on each one of us. Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts as we come before you in communion. Guide and direct our, our eyes. Fix them on you, Lord. Let us not turn to the right or to the left, but find the way and walk in it. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that we would be in relationship with you and not in religion with you in doing our Hail Marys or our acts of service to earn salvation, but to surrender to your grace and to rest in your grace. May I see things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.